This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. You already know it, Matt Law special. We got the man himself back during an international break. How's it going, Matt? Slow. It's a slow international break. I'm not enjoying this one, Brandon. Sometimes I enjoy them, but this one, building up to an Australia game, it's a slow week. Yeah, we uh, touched on that a little bit, you know, no no big name players. Mark Schwarzer of Chelsea, um, you know, they always had a few internationals, but not so much. I mean, I I don't know. This is what, our third international break this season now? Uh, second, isn't it? And there's a third to come in November. Yeah. You always go bang, bang, September, October, November, and then it stops. And then the the games domestically go crazy. Like there's no break, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah we, we've, it's still going to be a little bit stop-start. We come back for four games, I think, and then it's stop again in November, and then it's right into the really busy period. Uh, yes. So it goes, when we get back, it'll be Arsenal, Brentford, Blackburn in the Cup, and Tottenham in Man City, break, then come back to Newcastle, Brighton, United. <laughs> so uh, we'll touch on that a little bit more. But yeah, we've got a lot. It is uh, quiet already. It's crazy to think that Chelsea have just gotten done uh, playing, you know, uh, another round of matches. But before getting into that, Ian Nazard announced that he is retiring, Matt. we I wanted to get your perspective on it because you got to see him through some of the most magical years. You got to see some amazing highs from him. Obviously, Tons of nagging injuries and, and fitness issues throughout his time. But when you look back at what Eden Hazard did at Chelsea, what, what do you think of? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not just saying this. I always feel really, really privileged to have, have watched him and reported on him closely. I mean, when people talk to me about reporting on football and they kind of say how a lot of people will say how lucky I am and things like that. And I'll joke that I have to sit through quite a lot of rubbish games and, and stuff. But one thing I will generally almost always say to non-Chelsea fans or Chelsea fans is genuinely being lucky to have caught that spell with with Eden Hazard at the club particularly the, the two t- title winning seasons that, that he had when he was just absolutely incredible. I mean, I thought at the time he was probably about number three in the world. He was certainly the best player in England and he was, he was behind Messi and Ronaldo um, for me, just behind them. I always felt he was on the cusp of, of getting there and he's a different kind of guy to those two guys and, and probably didn't quite have the same drive to become the best in the world, but look, super privileged. I mean, you know, you, you think of the Barcelona reporters who, who got years and years of, of Messi and Real Madrid reporters who got years and years of Ronaldo and stuff like that. And and having Hazard for, you know, three, four really good years at Chelsea was was close to that. It was just, you just went feeling privileged. You were lucky. You knew you were watching something special. And I've got to say as well, off the pitch, he was great for reporters. He was funny. He was carefree. He would crack a joke. And also he would give, give it, it good interviews. It wasn't just silly stuff. Um, and when he went, we really missed him for that. I mean, he had that stardust as well from a journalist's point of view. If you rang your boss and said, you know, we've spoken to Eden Hazard, even if you'd only spoken to him for three minutes, it was like, right, we want 800 words on that. And he knew it was going to get a big show. And he was he had that that stardust quality. And, yeah, I, it's such a shame what's happening is is – career although I think we should try and sort of remember the good times rather than the fact it all petered out a little bit for him it's incredible in a way of of the way it's finished but I mean 
whether I'll get to report on a player as, as good as that for over such a, a prolonged spell. I know it wasn't like decades at Chelsea, but it still felt like a prolonged spell. I, I don't know, to be honest with you. Uh, everyone is recirculating his tweet. I'm signing for the champions yeah. of Europe. You know, he was kind of one of the first. I was first playing to- golf that day. <laughs> I was, I was, um, I was on a day off, and I was on the golf. I remember being on the golf course. I was playing on my own. I was practice. I was just practicing. I don't play much golf anymore, but I did back then. And um, I was just on the golf course, and I remember. I literally remember walking off the green <laughs> and having a little look at my phone and being like, "Oh my god!" and just abandoning my round and getting back to the car even though I was on a day off. So, yeah, I mean, everyone kind of had a had an idea, but there were still other clubs in the mix. It still was a bit of a jaw-dropping, you know, mic drop moment. Well, and and he announced it, right? Like, <laughs> ahead of the I know, club I love and everything. That. <laughs> yeah, I love that. But I, I think, I honestly think that the club, I know for a fact that um, Marina Granovskaya rated that as her favourite signing because of the level of competition, everybody was in for him, literally everybody. Um, and I think even with Chelsea being European champions at the time, I think there was always a fear um, that someone was going to come and gazump them. And I know for a fact, she, she's told people that I know very close to her that that is her favourite ever signing because that it was the one big auction for the sort of who everyone thought was going to be the world star that that they won during that time and yeah in, incredible and so i think i think basically once he'd agreed he was going they didn't care who announced it or what happened they just you know do what you like Eden. we've got you oh absolutely and just the uh the ramifications you think above and beyond of winning the champions league and able to lock up uh in nazar uh my timeline is filled with the club reposting some of his you know, crazy goals and, you know, almost essentially stripping Tottenham of the title with that, that last second winner. Um, they've got the goal of his Maisie dribble against West Ham and, you know, obviously the, the dribble against Arsenal, you know, the, (laughs) the, the, the one that uh, sent everyone for a spin, but, um, won the Europa league with him, won the league. I'm sure the FA Cup, you know, he he won a lot. We didn't quite win the Champions League with him, but, you know, he did score in the penalty when we won the uh, the Europa League, which I think everybody kind of knew. I guess maybe I should ask that as a question. Did everybody kind of know that that was the last season that, you know, Chelsea had some type of agreement to say, yeah, we know you want to go to Madrid. Let's try to find an amicable way, almost a la Cristiano Ronaldo and Sir Alex Ferguson at United. Yeah, it became impossible. I mean, he'd wanted to go the season before, um, and they, they managed to to hold on to him for one more season. And I don't think they outrightly said one more season, but I think there was a an agreement between the both. Chelsea were never also, remember his contract situation, Chelsea were also never going to get to a stage where they, they had to let him go on a on a free transfer. It was an incredible piece of business what they what they did to, to sell him. I mean, in hindsight, it's an incredible piece of business, but even at the time, had he gone on to to, you know, play 50 games a season for Real Madrid. It's still been incredible business with with one year remaining on his contract back then. Um, yeah, there was there was no keeping him by that. I've always wondered, I've never managed to interview him since he left Chelsea. And I I, I, I suspect he'll say no because it was his dream to play for Real Madrid. Um, but I do wonder whether there's a slight level of regret of of sort of um, not, not appreciating enough what he had at Chelsea. I remember 
I remember after Chelsea won the league at West Brom under Conte. Yep, um, Mishi Batshuayi. I, that's right. At that point, Chelsea tried very, very hard to get him on a new contract. They offered him a huge deal that summer. And I, I was told a story of Michael Emanalo, who was still at the club then, sitting down and basically telling him, if you stay at Chelsea they will end up building a statue of you, Eden. You're, you're that good and they love you that much. You will have a statue outside Stamford Bridge because the fans will demand it. And I remember him saying, being told, he said to him as well, um, look, you will go on and be a success at Real Madrid, but they've had so many Galacticos down the years. You will never get that. You will never get the love at Real Madrid that you have at Chelsea. And you need to think about that. And if, if you stay, you will be someone, I mean, he will be in the history books any, anyway, but like I said, that, Michael Emanalo thought that he he would be a player who would be considered one of the the Chelsea greats, and like I say, he, he told him there'd be a, a statue. But it, it's a good sales pitch. Unfortunately, it didn't quite work. But they, I remember that summer after winning the league at West Brom with Conte. That was the summer they tried super hard to sort out the contract, and they made him some enormous offers for the time, and um, he just wouldn't do it. Yeah, seven years at the club, a lot of trophies, won the league twice, like I said, Um, spent four years in in with Real Madrid, but it's just nowhere near the same player, unfortunately, with injuries and things. So I I love I love thinking back to some of the stories of the early days as well, because his first season, you know, he he struggled a little bit to settle in. He was a little bit too lackadaisical you know he's, he's always been known not to be the greatest trainer there were funny stories that never got denied I mean I never I don't think Eden ever confirmed them either but they certainly never got denied by the club they weren't written by me I hasten to add um, but I remember stories of after training there was a burger van somewhere near Stamford Bridge where the, the club had to basically tell the, the people who owned it to stop selling burgers to Eden Hazard because it on his way home from from Stamford Bridge he'd nip and have a burger and it was known his diet wasn't the best um it wasn't what you would expect necessarily of of someone of his talent but I love all that and I, I loved the normality of him actually I really liked that that, I, that attracted me to him that he had that very normal side where he you know he'd eat a bit of rubbish and he wasn't an enthusiastic trainer and Literally, he would go home and spend his time. He was very, very family orientated. When he went home, he didn't do a lot of extra work away from the training ground. He would literally go and play with his kids or, or be with his wife. He didn't. It wasn't football twenty four seven for Eden Hazard. Now, actually, I liked that there was a sort of romantic romanticism to that rather than the sort of robot footballer. It always made me like him a little bit more. Well, and he had such natural gifts right? That took him to a level that no one could reach. And he knew that. And he knew that he didn't need to maybe do all the extra things. I think probably towards the end of his career, it caught up with him. But I mean, in his prime, right? Like unbelievable, absolutely uh, electric. And to your point, like it was great that he was able to balance with a little bit of life uh, outside of, of football. And that's probably why he was such a fun guy to be around. Um, always a jokester. We've gotten to talk to Lee Parker many times about his stories with Eden Hazard. And um, no one ever has a bad thing to say, which I think is perfect. So, um, yeah, best of luck in retirement, Eden. Yeah, and I think he will I think he will keep a connection with the club because I'm I was told as as um as soon as as last as the summer just gone, sorry, this summer as it were, that uh that he was still he was back in London, he was living in his old house that he always kept us near the Cobham training ground. So 
it, it may well be that he ends up living there again. Um, he'll certainly, someone told me he'll certainly live there or live in Madrid um, while he's while he's at the age he's at. So maybe he'll split his time, but I think he was at Stamford Bridge not that long ago. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him around the place quite a lot more, but yeah, just unbelievable player and uh, yeah, greatly privileged to watch his, his best years at Chelsea. Love it. All right, we're going to take our first ad break. When we get back, more from Matt around the club. So thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. With the busy fall season already in swing, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for a jam-packed day. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up for fast breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with a healthy lifestyle. Look, you can relish the best of autumn with fall flavors. Fall is my favorite, my favorite season, and I even love the flavors that come with it. Uh, For a limited time only, you can enjoy some hearty, comforting meals featuring seasonal veggies like cranberry, pecan chicken, apple Dijon pork chops, ready in just two minutes. So satisfies you your fall cravings during the busy season without the hassle. Uh, You can even level up with the gourmet plus options prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Treat yourself to upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. Look, if you want to save 50% off this October, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. All you have to do is choose your meals, enjoy the fresh flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in how many minutes? Two and no mess. So head to factormeals.com forward slash London is blue 50. Use code London is blue 50 to get 50% off. That's code London is blue 50 at factormeals.com forward slash London is blue 50 to get that discount. You'll enjoy it. I did. They're delicious. You won't go wrong. Check it out. All right, Matt, we've got some results uh, since the last time we talked. I mean, Jesus, the last time we talked, we didn't even have a shirt sponsor. Now we've got an undefeated <laughs> shirt sponsor. So a lot has changed since we chatted. Yeah, 100% record for the shirt sponsor. I thought that actually after the Burnley game. I thought maybe it's all all to do with Infinite Athlete. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it's... Um, yeah, it's looking up, isn't it? It's looking up. I can't remember whether we spoke after Aston Villa quite when we we spoke last. No, after that, after, we don't. After we the don't Villa, talk to you. After, we don't talk to you after Villa. No. Win or lose. <laughs> but that that was the first moment I started to think, oh, this could get this could get ropey. This this could get a little bit um, difficult. I got um, it. Oh, you got it with no sponsor. I, I you pleased with no sponsor. I'm holding up the kit. No sponsor. I put a player on the back because I'm cheesy. Do you guess who I who I picked? Uh, see, I'd normally guess goalkeeper, but you can't get an outfield player shirt with... with I'm going chilly. Close. Oh, uh, I nearly said that. That's annoying. Reece I nearly said that. James. I don't yeah, have a I kit from him. That. I feel like it's long overdue. So I went with Reese James. But now I feel like I need one with Infinite Athlete on the front. <laughs> a sign of <laughs> well, better times. Well, will it will it be a stroke of genius? And will they find that people double up on their shirts this season because of that? Who knows? Hilarious. Dude. Nike is loving it. Um, but yeah, no, I think obviously lost to, to Villa, massive amounts of luck with the Gusto red card VAR getting involved. No, I'm j- I won't tease on, on these things, Matt, but, um, <laughs> we did have a run, right? Beating Brighton in the cup. That is, uh, such an emotional game for Chelsea fans right now. Beating Brighton. We have such, um, just, a a, a pain in the backside from them with everything from the summer and, and I think a couple seasons going on. 
so that one obviously felt good for Chelsea fans, but also massively important to progress in a cup competition for this team. And I think Potch, like that, that getting- draw is open as well. That draw is wide open. I mean, yeah. uh, that look, you know, they've only won one game in the competition, so I shouldn't get ahead of myself. But that draw is wide open. Chelsea with Blackburn, I think. Do Arsenal play West Ham? Man United play Newcastle. So there's going to be some more big clubs fall out of that competition in the next round. It's 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 there for someone. It, that competition is genuinely there for someone. I was absolutely furious that uh, that Villa fielded an understrength team and, and seemed to chuck the competition and went out to Everton. But yeah, that that's wide open for someone. That's that's a good opportunity. Really good opportunity. Yeah, as you were talking about, right? A lot of smaller teams playing each other, but West Ham and Arsenal, Bournemouth and Liverpool, Man United, Newcastle, Everton and Burnley, right? And I think Fulham are the only other Premier League club to to not have a, a Premier League opponent. So um, that obviously, and, and it goes quick, right? We're already to the round of 16 in this because it starts early, um, yeah. but it's good. I mean, th- this is what you want to see. West Ham, you know, the the Declan Rice Derby at this point for them um, and United Newcastle, two big teams. So they're probably going to field strong, strong lineup. So yeah, the the way this shook out, I was, I was shocked. After last season's cup draws, Matt, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Not getting Man City. Um, Chelsea was certainly due, due a, a decent cup draw and a decent cup run. But like I say, I mean, if, if they can if they can go far in that competition, it'll be really, really good for them, particularly with no Europe. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, you know, if I were a Chelsea fan, I'd be quite excited about that competition this season. And then you double up uh, with uh, beating Fulham. Quite, quite straightforward. And then Burnley, 4-1. All of a sudden, you know, we went, you look at the last results, didn't score against Villa, didn't score against Bournemouth, didn't score against Forest, scored three against Luton, right? That was the last time we had happiness in our lives, really, besides the Liverpool 1-1 draw at the beginning of the season. It was a run of not scoring goals and being really con- concerned. Nico Jackson picking up cautions uh, the way we were hoping he'd pick up goals and ended up being suspended and Broya had to come in and play. But uh, it, I don't know. There's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but I tell you what, when we were one nothing down to Burnley, Matt, I was so deflated. I had no confidence in the team's ability to come back. The fact that we scored four, we broke all sorts of trends as far as conversion. Um, but I think part of the other conversation is, well, the underlying stats show that Chelsea are good. So I guess how have you kind of mirrored those two things so far this season? Yeah, like I say, I was a bit worried after after the Villa game, but I was more worried because of the atmosphere around the club I just felt people were going to lose faith and get angry and you know justifiably so in to some respects um had things go badly and you know Chelsea were fortunate not to be off time against Brighton and I remember half time against Brighton thinking oh god you know that this could be another one here but um but it, it's certainly, it's given, what they did was centre. They've not had any momentum in this season. I know they played well against Liverpool, but a draw doesn't really give you momentum. Um, they've just no momentum to the season and they've, they've got a little bit of that now. Uh, I still think it's been bitty. Like you say, that the first kind of 40 minutes against Burnley were poor and then they reacted really well and, and blew them away in the second half. Um, I thought the second half against Fulham was poor. I thought the first half was excellent, but I thought the second half was poor. Partly, I think, mainly because the 
the game was probably actually pretty much won at 2-0. I, th- I didn't really see Fulham coming back and I got a little bit of feeling from the way that Chelsea performed that they didn't see Fulham coming back either. But it's the performance have still been a bit bitty. But the goal, look, the goals, everything in the numbers said the goals stage were going to come. I remember Paul Merson, who's actually a massive Chelsea fan, saying that they were going to thrash someone soon. And I, I saw that and thought, yeah, I, I can see that. Everything that you you when you delve into the numbers and when you look at them, surely you know they're going to put some of these chances away. It's just going to be a matter of when, not if. Um, and that has happened. And it's it's a little bit of a shame that momentum's been taken away by the international break for them. But it was a massive thing to get those two results going into these next games because you know I think when we spoke last, we spoke or one of the times we spoke, we spoke about they needed to get good points from the four games they've just had in between those international breaks, that that run of games. And obviously they lost the first two and you just thought, Oh my God, you know, this could get really serious for them. But um, so picking up those results just before this tough run and giving themselves some momentum will be good. And I actually think I've got just a sneaky feeling they'll, they'll, Playing against the better teams will suit them a little bit more. You know, they'll come out against them. They won't be able, they won't play. You know, Arsenal certainly aren't going to play a low block against them. Um, it might suit them a little bit more to play some of these teams in this run. That might be wildly optimistic on my part. But having seen how they played against Liverpool and knowing the strengths and weaknesses of that squad, I just think I feel actually more confident for them against a team that, that tries to play against them and come out against them than I do against the low block. And actually, you know, the quality isn't there with Burnley, but that, that proved the case against Burnley. You know, Burnley are not a low block team. Burnley are a team who try and come and play out, who try and um, dominate possession and, and stuff like that. And it, it, it eventually played into Chelsea's hands. And I do see that as, as being one sign of encouragement for them ahead of this very, very tough run of fixtures that they've got coming up. Yeah, I think um, it it was you know there's been a lot of we've we've tried to preach the XG game right we tried to create the the shot creating actions and and just tried to to look at it you know but the the fans in the stands right the supporters there the eye test is just lacking that clinicality and, and that that finishing that we want you know I predict a preseason that Christopher and Kunku is going to be the leading goal scorer of the team now right now you know I I sadly yeah. still have a chance of that coming true because <laughs> <laughs> no one's taken it and run with it. Um, which I think is, is, you know, it, it's frustrating, oh. but a lot of new players betting in still. Um, and I think we're starting to kind of see some players fit a couple that were still waiting to click. Um, I think one very encouraging thing is, and, and this will change because players will come back from injury. I mean, like you say, when Nkunku comes back, this will maybe change a little bit, but we're starting I could now name with the players available Pochettino's what Pochettino will think his best eleven is for now. And two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I still couldn't do that. You know, I think now while Nkunku's out, I think we're at a stage where now it is Palmer, probably Jackson just ahead of Broya, probably I think. Uh Palmer, Jackson, Sterling as the front three. The 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 midfield sort of three look locked in to me. Um, and then, you know, with Chilwell out, I think the, the, the sort of back four, Reese coming back, I, I think that picks itself now as well with, with Colwell playing left back, uh, Reese on, on the right and, and Thiago Silva 
um, having to play all, all the games <laughs> there ever were with Dezassi. But um, I think that's encouraging because, like I say, two weeks ago, I still I still didn't see, you know, a best 11 in there with the options he had available because I think no one quite knew how it was shaking down. Palmer wasn't the team. Palmer's been a huge plus in the, in the last couple of weeks, the way he's performed. I think the way he seems to have moved Enzo back a little bit again and Gallagher forwards a little bit, although there's obviously a bit of room for movement within games of those two. But the balance in the midfield, the last two games, has looked a lot better again. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that that is a big thing for now. I think Mudrich was showing some really good signs, but I think he'll probably be off the bench for the foreseeable future with Sterling playing so well and, and Palmer playing so well. And I just think they offer him a little bit more security and a little bit more, you know exactly what you're going to get rather than you're, you're still not quite sure what you'll get with Mudrich. But then all of a sudden the bench starts to look strong. You know, you've got a more confident Mudrich on the bench. You've got a Broya, maybe a Jackson on, on the bench. You've got an actual striker there. Um, and yeah, it just all starts to feel a little bit bit more bedded in. But uh, that will change again because players will start to come back that will give him decisions. But that, that's a big thing going into some of these big games, I think, as well. Yeah, what I've seen with the midfield specifically is that it looks like uh, Moises Casado is holding as a lone yeah. six. And Enzo and Connor have the freedom, almost as eights, to kind of go where they want. Um, when I was looking at the heat maps and the average player positions in the last couple of matches, that's the big change to me, um, which I think makes sense. There was a, a run of Enzo as a as a 10 or the furthest forward midfielder, and we all saw that. We're all like, this isn't it. Like He needs to have the play in front of him with, with a little bit of space between him uh, to pick out passes. So those little things, right, have settled, uh, and Connor continues to be um, – excellent in kind of whatever position he's been put in continuing to be captain by the way i think he's integral at the moment i mean he's not a perfect player by any means he's not always perfect in possession um i think he should score more goals i think he's got more goals in him but he's absolutely integral the the drive the energy the spirit um the willingness i don't think sometimes enzo necessarily wants to get back whereas connor will go and cover him um, the willingness to to do all aspects of, of the job. I think we've seen him finish games at right back. I think we've seen him finish games on the wing, depending on how games are going. I think you, if you see the trust that Poch puts on him in terms of moving him around the pitch at certain times of games to, to help get Chelsea over the line or to try and force something, I think it just shows you how integral he is. He's captain the team. He's not a traditional captain um, in terms of what I think of being a captain, but he's He's taken that on and he's done well with it. And yeah, it, it's a remarkable turnaround because, you know, he was on a list of players that Chelsea were circulating were was available in in the summer. So that that's a really positive thing. And he, he feels to me that he's integral to how Pochettino wants the balance in the midfield. He's not, he's not super sort of attractive on the eye test all the time, but managers love him, you know. All managers love him. If you look, Patrick Vieira loved him, tried to re-sign him. I think I think there's a, there's a stat that virtually every manager who's ever had him has, has tried to re-sign him. Um, and I said on here once before, I, I joked on here that, you know, if he were playing for Brighton, Chelsea would be trying to sign him for 100 million right now. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> Raheem has been in fine form, right? Minus the illness. 
this, I would say, is the player we thought we were getting from City. Any, like, I don't know, like, what? It's just, so, I know last season was bad, but, like, I don't know. Is it just his diet? I mean, what's clicked for Raheem this season? Well, he's fit. He wasn't fit for long periods of last season. He wasn't fit. He found the move tough. He had, you know, we know what happened in the World Cup with the with the bur- the attempted burglary that that people have been charged over now. So that is a fact. Um, it had been a long time since he'd moved club. It'd been a long time since he'd moved region in the country. These things can have effects. I'm not trying to make excuses for him because I thought he was disappointing last season, and I wanted more from him. But these things do have effect. Uh, an impact and he looks more settled. He looks more comfortable in himself. He certainly looks fitter. Um, What I want to now see from Raheem is I know he played well against Liverpool, but I want to see some real impact against the top club now because the stats on Raheem where his biggest impacts in terms of goals and assists come against sort of promoted teams and lower teams. And I'm not accusing him of being some sort of flat track bully. He's a much better player than that. But what I want to see in this run of games, now, let's see a big goal against one of the big clubs. Let's see a big assist against one of the big clubs. Let's see a real moment against one of the big clubs. Now, that is what he needs to do now. And I thought it was striking that, you know, I think people have been trying to put a lot of praise on him. And, and while Pochettino is clearly very happy with him, I think Pochettino said something like, what, in terms of scoring goals, he said, well, that, that's what he's paid to do. You know, that's his job. And I think Pochettino will want to see... Before Pochettino gets carried away, he will want to see the big moment against a big club. And look, Chelsea fans probably don't care that much, but if Sterling does want to get back in the England squad, that's what he's going to have to do to really get Southgate to to sit up and take notice. Scoring against Burnley, Luton, assisting against those teams is all very well and good. And playing very well against those teams is all very well and good. But now we want to see it in a really big game. And I think he's got it in him. I, I, I think he'll do it he's he's showing signs getting there uh he's been integral for for the team which has been great uh i do want to take our last break but i have a couple more player specific questions don't worry more with matt so thank you to the sponsors and we'll be right back all right so we just wrapped on raheem obviously we want him to be an england international because that means he's at the top of his game right that is good for chelsea and it seems like he's leading from the front which is fantastic decision making is getting better which is exactly what you want to see um, what, what about, what's your take on Robert Sanchez or as Dan likes to call him, Bob, uh, he's, <laughs> you know, snuck under the radar a little bit just in terms of, you know, a lower, um, price Brighton clearly didn't want him conversations about, does this pave the way for Caicedo? And we're just doing it as, you know, to, to get the player we want. He's come in. Um, and I would say like kind of taking progressive steps, the ball at his feet is concerning, but my word, is he a shot stopper of sorts and has like a big figure. But again, like, what about you? How are how are you looking at this? Because Chelsea been howling for a, a top, top goalkeeper since, uh, you know, Mendy lost form post Champions League. Yeah, I mean, it's it's striking how big he is. And I, I'm, whenever I watch any football club, I, I do just like... I always feel much more confident with a big goalkeeper in goal. His his hands look massive when he holds the ball. I like that. <laughs> Just stupid little things. But when I, I see the big hands around the ball, I like that. Um, there was the the save where he flinged. Was it against Fulham? I can't remember which game it was when he sort of flinged himself across goal and just made himself really big. Um, and 
I, I remember looking at that and thinking, God, I don't, I can't ever think of Kepa managing to make himself look that big. He's got that presence about him. He can stretch himself out and and really fill the goal. I like all that. I like the way he comes for crosses. I feel confident for him on crosses. I think he's commanding of his area. Um, now, I haven't properly looked at the stats, but I've got a feeling the stats say he's not actually been bad with his feet. But I'm like what you said. My book with him at the moment is I'm terrified when he has the ball at his feet. Um, the Brighton game, I was just like the Brighton game, he was all over the place with the ball at his feet, whether it be the short balls that he was giving them chances with or whether he kept just kicking it out into touch when he went for the long balls out, the longer balls out wide to, to push up fullbacks. He was just horrendous with the ball at his feet in that game. Fulham, I don't think he was much better with the ball at his feet. Um, he worries me with the ball at his feet, but I feel like I've read somewhere that there are stats that actually say he hasn't been maybe as bad with the ball at his feet as as the eye would maybe have you believe, because you obviously forget all the times where he just passes it out. Do you have stats? I do. So FB ref here's yeah, total uh, passing. He's at 89.7%, right? Uh, short passes, 99%. Medium passes, 98%. Long passes, uh, 65.8, so 66%. And that is 20% higher than anything he did at Brighton. So I was going to say, so there, so there you go. I mean, the stats would back up um, that I'm only concentrating on, on the the ones with obviously take your notice that the, the sort of bad ones or the worrying ones. Um, and actually he, he's been better with his feet than maybe the eye would have you believe. I, I also think with goalkeepers, you know, if you know, midfielders make bad passes, uh, strikers make bad passes, fullbacks make bad passes. If you're going to have the philosophy where you play out from the back, it's not, it would be unfair to expect goalkeepers never to make bad passes because everybody else on the pitch who's meant to be better with the ball at their feet makes bad passes. When you decide as a club or a manager that you're going to play out from the back, which virtually all of them do now, you have to accept that the goalkeeper is going to make some bad passes and you're going to have times where it suddenly lets them in and you you either hope they don't score or you back the goalkeeper or a defender to, to quickly react. I do think you have to accept that a little bit. It's unfair to expect goalkeepers to be perfect with their feet when nobody else on the pitch is expected to be perfect with their feet and passing. So I, I would always think that. But look, generally, I like him. I don't know whether he's a top, top goalkeeper yet. He might be. I think we, it's, we're, we're eight games into the Premier League season. It's actually impossible to judge that at the moment. Um We'll we'll have an idea of that towards the middle, or maybe not even till the end of the season. But he's look. I I, I was I always made it clear that I was not really a, a great lover of of Kepa. I, I admired him from, in many respects of his attitude and the way he fought back from many disappointing moments, and I felt sorry for him. And I, I felt that sometimes he was a little bit he could get a bit picked on, but. I never felt that he was a goalkeeper who gave me any confidence whatsoever. And I, I do prefer, I feel more confident with, with Sanchez in there. And to me, the defenders look confident in him. Um, I haven't noticed anything that makes me think that the defenders aren't confident in him. And and Chelsea's Chelsea's defensive record has actually been good even before um, before they started winning the last two matches. The, the defensive record actually has been, been very good this season generally. 
Yeah, it, it has. Minus that slip against Burnley, which was actually a bit calamitous from start to finish. Um, they've looked good, right? So I would just say like Robert Sanchez's stats so far looking pretty good. I mean, he's conceded seven. All seven have been from inside the box, which are always going to be higher chances uh, yeah, for him. But he's prevented 1.47 goals, and that's an accumulation, right? He's also made 14 saves inside the box, not conceded any outside the box, which again are just signs of strength. If a team knows that they're probably not going to score outside the box, then they're going to be forced to make an extra pass or two to kind of figure and out what they want to do. completely different from Kepa, who seemed mm-hmm. to let in everything outside the box. He, he was always at the top of the goalkeepers who let in shots from outside the box. Exactly, right? Where it's just, it always hit his fingertips, whereas Sanchez can get a full yeah. hand on it and get it knocked out. So yeah, overall, I think that I'm I'm happier than what I thought we were coming into the season with. Uh, Georgia Petrovic is nowhere around um, the, the lineup, but I think that that just means we're in a good spot as far as this goes. Are we settled and do we have the final product? Maybe not, but hey, so far so good. And if I, from what I've seen with, uh, with Tony, the goalkeeper coach, <laughs> He's an intense dude. I feel like Robert Sanchez has the same mentality as him, and I bet they get on great. Right? That's just He's my meant to be a great complete guess. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't deal with him much at Tottenham, but everyone always would um, reference him as being, you know, staff who did have to deal with him a lot would reference him as being a great guy, absolutely great guy. And I think we were talking, um, we had the whole Pochettino crossbar challenge with Mudrich. I'm told Tony Jimenez is pretty good at the crossbar challenge. So, oh yeah, you, goalkeeping you might, coach. You might, yeah, you might find a training video of that at some point come out from Chelsea. I'd imagine. I do not doubt that at all. Uh, goalkeeping coaches can snipe because that's all they've done for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, last thing, just touching on some of the injuries. It seems like uh, we're starting to get over the hump uh, and there's quite a few players back at, at Cobham, which selfishly is a good thing, albeit you could say not great if they're not um, you know, being selected by their national teams. Um, Cucurella's back. David Washington, youngsters there, but Carney Chukwemeka, it sounds like he is um, was named amongst the substitutes uh, this past Saturday. Seems like he is getting very close to being back. Have you heard anything about him? He was in such good form before he got injured uh, by scoring and celebrating so fantastically. <laughs> I think they'll be careful with him. I, I would, I would expect. Look, I don't know this for fact. This is my sort of guess. I would expect he'll be on the bench and maybe get minutes here and there off the bench in, in preparation for possibly starting that Blackburn game. I could see him starting that Blackburn game. Um, but I mean, yeah, again, I, t- I spoke about the bench earlier, didn't I, in terms of the, the lineup and the fact the bench is looking strong. And I actually forgot about Carney, um, which is bad of me. But yeah, I mean, it's strange to think now, you know, he, he, he left the team injured when he looked like he was about to nail himself down a first team starting place. And he will step back into that squad sort of uh, two or three down on the bench. So it's a strong squad and there's going to be tough decisions coming as as people get fit, but yeah, massive boost. I mean, he, he was, he was showing everybody what he was about, which I don't think we saw at all last season. And it was very clear that the Pochettino has taken a bit of a shine to him. Um, So that's something to be excited about. As I say, I'd be very surprised if he started any sort of game before the Blackburn game, but I'd have thought everybody's got their eye on that for him. Um, Reese James, I think were he not suspended, would have got minutes against Burnley. I think the plan was to get him some serious 20 to 30 minutes ahead of a couple of weeks training and then going into the Arsenal game. That makes 
a little bit more complicated around the selection for the Arsenal game, but I suspect he will start. But I, I don't know whether they've got any um, behind closed doors games going on this week. But um, yeah, they'd have liked to have just got some minutes into it before this little run of games. But that that was the plan. Uh, I know we laugh about it. I did think it was incredibly stupid of him to to get banned when he he was injured and hopefully as captain he's learned a bit of a lesson there I know as fans you look at it differently and I saw a lot of sort of proper Chelsea hashtags and stuff like that which did make me smile but in in reality he needs to learn from that one um so on that if, if we could, in the moment on. you're like good stand up for Chelsea love it but in hindsight finding out he was fit to get some minutes against Burnley <sighs> and missed out because of that now I'm like all right that was dumb like that sucks. Yeah. That that was not <laughs> worth it now in hindsight, no. which is where it comes into play, right? In the moment where we had been just taken over and just, you know, being wow. run around, you're like, great. But minutes against yeah. Burnley would have been so good for him. And I think the team and supporters' confidence to see him back out there. And now we have to wait through an international <sighs> break. So, anyways. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm sure he, he'll have been frustrated. So hopefully he'll have learned from, from that one. I'm trying to think Baddy Ashiel as well must yeah, be close Benoit. now. Yeah, Baddy Ashiel must be close. And, you know, uh, that you would hope that Tiago will at least get the, the Carabao Cup off because Tiago can't just keep playing every single game. That was never the plan. Injuries have forced that hand with Fafana and, and obviously Baddy Ashiel and, and stuff. And, you know that he he can't just keep playing and playing and playing and playing. So that will hopefully allow him to to skip a game here and there and them to to manage him. Albeit he probably doesn't want to be managed. Um, so yeah, yeah. The the injuries are slowly, slowly but surely. And never ever thought that Chelsea would be hurting in the centre back area heading into this season, right? I think both. Neville and Carragher have been slated by Chelsea fans saying that they need to buy a center back when on paper we, we we're good there. Like that is not the issue for Chelsea in defense. Um, Trevor no, Chalaba coming I, back would help obviously. Yeah. I, I was confused by that as well. Um, particularly from Neville who has been so critical of Chelsea spending and Chelsea just buying, buying, buying. And then I don't think Carragher was and- too happy over uh Caicedo. <laughs> <laughs> or probably not. Probably not. I have to be careful what I say about Jamie Carragher. He's essentially a colleague of mine at the Telegraph. He writes a column for us. Um, but I can slag off Gary Neville as much as you want. Um, <laughs> so, but he, he's been very outspoken about the ownership and the spending. So to come out and say that they should spend again in an area where only a little bit of research will tell you they don't really need to spend and were they to spend it would actually cause them as many problems as it would solve. Um, yeah, it's surprising. Let's let's leave it at that. Yeah, I'll be interested to see with uh, Chilwell being injured. Like, is he? It doesn't want to seem to do it yet, but Matson or Cucurella at left back, where then Levi or when Body Shields back can slot into that in that center back spot. We did get a glimpse of that, I think, after the red card, right, where the whole defensive line shifted one to the right with Disasi playing right back, Levi Cowell playing left center back, and again, you got to see his distribution from that place where he is in more of a comfortable spot. Um, Burnley probably almost exploited him by pulling Levi up high on the pitch and they just did a one-two around him and and that's where the goal but, came from but then in the fulham game I, it was the best game i thought it had this season from the left back spot i thought he True. was really good um he assisted assisted one of the goals didn't he yeah he assisted mudridge goal um and 
that was a moment where I thought, oh, I, I can see it. I can finally see it because um, I hadn't really seen it up till then. I've got to be honest with you. I thought it's not done fine, but I hadn't really seen exactly why. Um, and I saw it in that game. I don't know. He seems to really like Levi left back. Well, height, right? Because it gives him three tall yeah. players in the back line. So even if you move, um, you know, him in, you still lose height with with one of the two on the side. So, anyways, we'll see. But um, I think a lot of us are excited to see Benoit Batashield come back. Obviously, um, a different group of us want to see Trevo come back and just be healthy again. I think just being able to have the option to rotate at the center back positions right now is it's it seems really really important. Disasi has done well. Thiago has done pretty good for the most part, but they're also being forced um, into those situations. And you just always wonder like, Hey, could someone come in and play a little bit better? Yeah. And look, from a, from a reporter's point of view, I want everybody to be fit. Cause I just want to see what his team is, what the bench is. I want to, I want to, as a reporter, it's quite always quite interesting to start really finding out what the pecking order is. And, and until we have basically a fit squad, you can't really do that. Um, so, you know, from a very, very selfish point of view, I want everyone to be fixed so I can really get a feel of who's in, who's out, who does he really like, or who's he, who's he sort of been having to like because of the circumstances. I, I just think it would be fascinating. I mean, sadly, it sounds like Lavia is still a long way away. Um, and Kunku's obviously still got a bit to go. I'd still be quite surprised if we saw much of him this year, to be honest with you. Um but yeah, yeah, they're, they're getting back. They're getting back. I mean, I've got to say, across the board, the injuries in the Premier League this uh, this first eight games have been incredible. The amount of injuries that the clubs have had to big players as well, because of the, the the amount of games. I mean, wow, everyone's just kind of accepting it that all all these teams are having injury after injury after injury, and and yet, you know, when are we going to stop pushing them? Well, quite the opposite, I think, is is the direction. Um, especially if UEFA get their way. But I would say when I go to uh, match previews, Matt, I always look at everyone's roster to see how many players they have out injured, you know, just to wonder like, is this a Chelsea thing or not? But I would say like Chelsea United uh, for a while were really like the excessive teams in there. But a lot of teams have five, six. And you think like around the table, five to six players out at any given point of time is significant. You know, that's and what you've got to remember 25%. As well, you know, that's it. And you've got to remember as well, that the lower the lower down you go, you know, I, I know that Chelsea haven't had a very good time of it, but they've still got a lot of quality throughout their squad. Chelsea having eight injuries is the it's like, you know, a, a mid-table club having five or six. Because, you know, I don't count Villa as a mid-table club at the moment, but if Villa have five or six injuries, our squad hasn't got the breadth of quality of a, of a Chelsea or even a Man United, although that, that seems, feels weird to say. Um <laughs> But you take five or six players out of the squad, and all of a sudden they're, they're really scratching around, like Chelsea have been because of the eight or nine. So mm. the, the level, sort the, the impact becomes similar. If you, I, I, that might sound confusing, but I hope I'm making some sense. Yeah, um, Chelsea I think can afford to have more versus the average squad. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's that sort of uh, gets them off the hook or, or or means they shouldn't have sympathy for it or it shouldn't be taken into account. But I just think if you look across the board, everyone's had quite big injury problems um probably other than tottenham although they've started to get a couple 
they started at Benton Core is a long term from last season. Um, but they they've they've been more fortunate with injuries so far, although they've just started to get a couple recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it shakes out. It's look, we'd rather be on the up than on the down, right? We've had a rough start to the season. Things are trending upwards, more players are coming back. That's only gonna uh, create a better situation. So anyways, uh, I think we're good there, Matt. Appreciate the time on the international break, although it sounds like you were really looking forward to this. <laughs> I was going to say, it's giving me something to do. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we appreciate it. As always, check out Matt on Twitter and over at The Telegraph, all of his articles. Uh, I'm pretty good at reposting on the personal. I think the pod does as well, but uh, appreciate it, Matt. We'll be back. Um, more content this week. Sam is coming in with a Connor Gallagher preview, I believe. So really excited to see his okay. breakdown on him yeah excellent so, anyways uh until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high <laughs>